going on, guys? This is Alan Percal from Crypto Market 360, bringing you another one of our special episodes where we bring in someone from the blockchain space and learn more about what they're working on, what they like in the space, and where they think we're going. Today, I have the pleasure of being joined by Nick and Noah. And these are two university professors who have actually just launched a Kickstarter campaign to write one of the first kids' books about blockchain. Uh, Nick is on faculty at Columbia University and Noah is with uh, Mount Sinai, um, I believe the largest hospital network in uh, New York. Um, not only do we dive into what they're working on right now, which is uh, Toshi Builds Consensus, that children's book, we also dive into how blockchain can uh, disrupt the healthcare space going forward. I really hope you guys like this episode. Hey everyone, this is Alan Perkow bringing you another special episode to the Crypto Market 360 podcast. Today I have the pleasure of being joined by Nick and Noah, creators of one of the first blockchain children's books. Nick and Noah, thanks for joining me. Thank you, Alan. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, Alan. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, so I'd like to kick these things off with a brief intro. Um, so if you guys want to go into a brief intro of your background, uh, and then we'll kind of kick it off with what you guys are working on now. Yeah, absolutely. I'm uh, Nick Tantanetti. I'm a a professor in biomedical data science at Columbia University. And my name is Noah Zimmerman. I am a professor of genetics and genomic science at Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai, where I also direct the newly formed Center for Biomedical Blockchain Research. And so that, that kind of leads me into the next question of how did you get into the blockchain space? So do you want to kind of touch on, on how that, um, that department got built out while you guys are looking at, at blockchain in the medical space? Sure. So, um, you know, Nick and I, both of our backgrounds are, are in biomedical informatics, which is essentially how you can use data, machine learning, uh, and statistics along with, um, you know, modern technological improvements like things like the blockchain to improve the delivery uh, and research in healthcare, biology, and medicine. And so, uh, you know, there are a, a lot of interesting blockchain and healthcare projects. We recently um, did, a, did a survey and found about 160 companies that have raised about $700 million in the last three years that are all healthcare or biomedical specific blockchain projects. So Nick and I got together, formed a collaboration, um, and have been working on some academic projects looking at where we think blockchain could and could not be useful in healthcare and biomedicine. Gotcha. And so I'm definitely going to ask you a little bit more about that because I'm in the healthcare sector as well. Um, so blockchain naturally, um, one of the areas it could um, could post some improvements would be the healthcare sector. So we'll get into that a little bit. But I'm, I'm really curious uh, to hear more about Toshi, Toshi Builds Consensus, which is the project you guys are now working on. Um, I had the pleasure of being introduced to this about a week ago and checked out the Kickstarter page. And I think this is a super interesting concept uh, that, our, uh, that our audience will be uh, pretty interested in. So you guys want to kind of kick it off on, on how, how did this idea come up? Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Um, so we were kind of sitting around one day, um, going back and forth between working on this perspective piece on biomedical blockchain and uh, reading some kids' stories to Noah's daughter. Um, and we were looking at each other thinking, huh, we could, we could explain some of this blockchain technology and the features it has. Um, to kids in one of these kind of like delightful, fun kids' stories. 
Um, we were joking about it, but then we kind of stayed up all night and couldn't get the idea out of our heads. And by about 2 a.m., we had written and storyboarded um, the f one of the first uh, blockchain board children's books. <laughs> and so um, I, I know this hasn't launched yet. I'm not sure how many people have seen it, but um, can, can we have a brief overview of how you've laid out this story in a way that um, a child would be able to understand? Because a lot of people are probably thinking, well, I, I can't. I opened the Bitcoin white paper and, and I can't understand more than the first few pages. Uh, so how are you going to teach this to, let's say, a six or seven year old? Sure. Well, uh, you know, one of the things about this this space is that it, there's a lot of different pieces of the technology. Uh, and so we imagine this first book called Toshi Builds Consensus as the first in a series. Um, and in this book, we're, as as the name you might have guessed from the name, we're, we're looking into consensus algorithms and how those um, are used to, to sort of form the foundation of distributed ledger technology. And, and so what was the, um, there's, there's probably a handful of ways you could have marketed this book. Um, what, what was the reasoning for putting it on Kickstarter? We were really excited by the platform. It's, you know, it's a platform for artists and uh, Noah and I have had a creative collaboration going back to our days at Stanford and doing college radio. Um, and so we really kind of were drawn to that that creativity and seeing these projects come up. Um, we saw it as an opportunity to get our word out, to make a video, to, uh, and we just kind of liked everything about it. And, and so I think Noah was the one that alluded to this, but um, assuming this, this book goes uh, pretty successfully, uh, where do you see this going for the next couple of years? I know you mentioned um, this could be the first in a series of books Sure, sure. So, you know, Nick and I both were both professors at, at medical schools. And so education is something that is that is near and dear to our hearts. And so, you know, this is our first foray into trying to distill what it is that we're normally doing in a university lecture hall down to something for a three and four year old. And so the like we said, this is the first in a series of three books that we have planned around the blockchain. Um, the next ones will likely cover cryptocurrency and smart contracts as sort of the core principles that we want to cover. And depending on how that goes, you know, Nick and I might get back to our roots and do some more stuff related to healthcare and engineering and statistics for kids. Gotcha. So I, I kind of have this vision in my head where we have um, a parent of, say, an eight-year-old. He says, oh, this would be really cool. I can, uh, I can teach blockchain a little bit to uh, my son or daughter. Then they end up buying this book and it doesn't leave their hands because they're the ones really learning from it. Do you, do you think that this is something that uh, parents could kind of get, get something out of as well? Yeah, definitely. I think, I, I think there's something for everyone. It's, it's a real fun kid's story. Um, we've tested it with some real live kids and they were delighted by it, um, as were some adults. Um, so it's, it's simple and fun, but it's also got a lot, got a lot to give as well. Very cool. Yeah, we think, we think, we think it's going to make a great great present for your kids and also for all of your friends who are, you know, the ones talking Talk. about talking Bitcoin at the at the water cooler Thought. around the Thanksgiving <laughs> table. <laughs> yeah, that was the big time last year, actually. Um, I think I'd written a piece about how this was going to be the talk of every Thanksgiving dinner. Um, <laughs> what, when do you expect this? Because um, I'm, I'm obviously interested in this book uh, as a few uh, holiday presents. When do you think this will launch? I think I saw the Kickstarter is live for another uh, week and a half ish. That's right. I mean, we're going to move fast. Our biggest worry was really finding a illustrator. Um, and we're really happy to have found an illustrator, um, incredibly talented. 
um, Philadelphia-based educator, actually. Um, and so I think now that we have those pieces in place, things are going to move pretty quickly. Gotcha, gotcha. So I know Hanukkah is actually earlier this year, but what about Christmas time? You think this book will be out by, by end of December? We're looking to have something for our backers by early December. Uh, given the production timelines, it's unlikely to have the physical book, but we definitely will have something that, uh, that you, can, you can have and share around Christmas time. Gotcha. Absolutely. Very cool. Very cool. Yep. Uh, so let, let's kind of go to um, the crypto market. I like asking all of our guests who are involved in the blockchain space, and typically everyone comes from a different angle here. Uh, I know you guys are in the healthcare space. Um, I am as well. So I'd be really interested to hear both of your opinions on how you think blockchain can kind of um, uproot, uproot the current uh, organization of the healthcare uh, sector, everything from EHRs to the way insurance companies operate. Um, I, I'd love to hear more about. Go for it, no. Sure. Um, so, you know, I think there's a few key areas where, we, where we're pretty optimistic about the use cases, use cases around blockchain and healthcare. Um, one would be sort of disintermediation of third-party players and, and helping to relieve some of the, the friction. So, for instance, in the payment space, there's a really interesting startup working in auto-adjudication of parameterized insurance claims. So parameterized is just there's a fixed payout, so you're not having to haggle about how much it is. Um, and then the adjudication just happens through a smart contract. And, and the use of the blockchain as sort of a universal layer of truth. So you know, if you provide the right documentation, your claims just automatically get paid out without having to have a third party operate in between. So that's, that, that's one interesting area in the payment space. Something that's a little bit closer to Nick and I's sort of core area has to do with data marketplaces and data availability. So one of the key problems in healthcare research is access to data. Um, and there's this growing interest in, in how, we can, how can we connect data producers, data generators, um, with the, the data consumers, and furthermore allow those data producers to generate, in, to, to participate, I'm sorry, in some of the value generated from their data. So just this last week, two interesting companies launched in the genomics space, um, where they're essentially paying you to get your genome sequenced and then trying to connect you with people who would be interested in buying your sequenced data. So that's, there's a company called Nebula Genomics and another one called EncryptGen. Both of them launched in the last two weeks that are, that are sort of squarely in that genomics space. Very cool, very cool. What about you, Nick? I, yeah, I would say also um, agree with that all on those specifics, but um, I think that both of us are pretty bullish generally about the potential impact that this new technology can have. I think if you look across healthcare, you see a lot of dysfunction at the network level, a lot of miscommunication, either deliberate or, or not deliberate on essentially all parties involved. And the ability to kind of alleviate some of that, to, inst to kind of uh, instill trust through, um, through trustlessness um, is an opportunity and to build networks where they haven't existed before is an opportunity that really could reshape healthcare and how we approach it. In the end, healthcare is just about human behavior, and that's what blockchain technology can, can help us change. So I think we're pretty excited about that potential. So I really like that, that end part, as you said, building networks where they don't currently exist. Um, and this dawned on me a few weeks back. I went, I went into the doctor, I went to my PCP, got my physical, and uh, I grew up in South Florida, and, and I now live in Kentucky. And it was baffling to me that my 
new PCP, my, my new primary care doctor, couldn't tap into a simple platform and see all of my medical history instantly. Um, it's 2018 now. We have you know, lawnmowers that are cutting grass uh, automatically, just robots in the front yard. But my doctor can't find my past medical history. Do you, do you think that there's anything um, that specific uh, that will be coming out in the near future to kind of ease that problem among the others in the healthcare space? Yeah, so data portability and data interoperability is a long-standing issue in, in healthcare where we operate about 20 to 30 years behind most other industries. Um, and there's been about, over the last decade, you know, four to five different standards that, have helped, that are supposed to help alleviate. So things like the blue button standard, FHIR now, HL7. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that Nick and I talk about uh, in this paper is uh, there hasn't been incentives to, for, for the providers and, and the vendors who are creating the EMR, the electronic medical record systems, to adopt these standards. In fact, if you think about it, there are even some disincentives to, to sharing the data. And one of the things that crypto has been really pretty impressive at doing is, is the ability to sort of create a market where, where none existed. And so we think that maybe these problems that have seemed like technical challenges or obstacles might be able to be alleviated in this in the face of proper incentives. So if there was a business use case for, for the big players in these markets to make it easier for people to access their data, we think that uh, you know, that might help ease this process that's been going on for, for at least uh, 20 years now in healthcare. Cool, cool. Yeah, and I would say that just to share an anecdote, and I won't name names, um, <laughs> but I was sitting in a meeting one time with a, a bunch of executives at hospitals from around the area um, and they, they just said, we were talking about data sharing and all of these standards, and, and they just threw up their hands and said, listen, we're not going to share the data. We never are. We don't want to. And they have no intention to. Um, and so until they can, these incentives can be changed, uh, there's not going to be action from the top down, which is what we need. And so that part makes a lot of sense to me. Do you think the incentive needs to be placed on the healthcare providers and the insurance companies or more on the individual like you and you guys and myself? Um, where we're incentivized to put our information individually into some type of network um, that then doctors can tap into if they're also using these, app these same applications? No, we really think it has to be at the systems level because those are the people who have the data right now. Uh, I mean, I think you would find, Alan, it personally difficult yourself to gather your own medical records, even though there is legislation um, uh, that, that entitles you to that information. It, you have to you have to navigate a Byzantine architecture of, of, uh, of paperwork and, and filings and, and follow-ups only to get it all as a PDF, you know, because the healthcare industry still works primarily on fax machines. Um, and so while you're entitled to that data by law, it's under HIPAA, uh, you're entitled to, to all of the information um, about you in the course of a, a, a medical visit, it's actually really difficult to get it. And so I think the onus is really on the data the current data owners to both make it accessible to individuals um, and also to, to one another in the uh, case that you described, you know, in the sharing of information across facilities and providers. Oh, man. That makes it seem like we have quite an uphill battle to fight here. <laughs> um, so let, let's kind of go a little bit historical here. Um, other than buying Bitcoin uh, five or six years ago, um, <laughs> as, as you look back uh, to the progression of the blockchain and crypto sector, um, do you have any regrets or, or some, some moment in time or, or something that you could have gone back and if you had the opportunity to do it differently, you would have immediately jumped at the chance? 
I would say, um, you know, there is a certain hype cycle associated with a lot of technologies, uh, especially the exciting new ones that change the way people approach um, how they program or interact or think about how companies are developed. Um, and these can be often damaging to the development of that technology. So I don't know if it's something I would change specifically myself or my, my actions, but just the ability to kind of allow this technology, which has a lot of really exciting features, to develop in a little bit more uh, slow, organic way um, without quite as much intense um, hype around it uh, could be really, could have been really beneficial to its actual implications and its applications across many fields. Yeah, I think that's a great point, Nick. There's this interesting um, convergence in this technology which I'm, I'm having a hard time thinking of an, of an analog, where there's this intense amount of um, excitement over the technology and the new technology development, but that's coupled extremely tightly because of the first use case being Bitcoin with like this intense financial interests. Mm -hmm. And those have really gotten wedded together and in a way that I think has really increased kind of the hype, the, the amplitude of the hype cycle that Nick was describing. Um, and I think Nick and I, you know, as technology-oriented folks are, are, you know, the, the interest for us is that this is such a compelling thing technologically and, and, and the wealth of really brilliant people working on the development of these new protocols and the developer excitement. That's what's really captivating to us. So um, on the other hand, what about a piece of advice from each of you? Um, our audience is, is filled with generally people who like to stay on top of the crypto uh, news um, from, from a variety of different sectors. What, what's one piece of advice that you'd give to our listeners who may be more on the beginner side of, of the crypto space? I would say uh, keeping an eye out for opportunities for behavior change. Uh, this is one of the things we really talk about in our perspective piece a lot. but. Um, the real power of these approaches is that you can form networks and communities of people uh, and humans, you can form networks of communities of humans together toward a common goal. And that's an incredibly powerful thing for a technology to do that hasn't really been possible before. Um, so when you're out there and you're just facing problems and you're thinking, oh, I just want to connect with somebody better, like that's an opportunity. And, you know, it might be a little bit uh, bullish and early to say, but blockchain has the ability to make that type of thing happen. Um, yeah, I, I, that's I, I I couldn't agree more with Nick. Um, I mean, I guess from a if if some of your folks are more on the uh, day to day side of things, I think um, you know finding the projects that have that have really strong technical underpinnings, where there's you know sort of a core use case that is that's that are driving. Um, those applications and where the people, sort of the teams and projects have a deep understanding of what the technical problem is that needs to be solved. I mean, I think, you know, when you, at the end of the day, blockchain is about protocols, um, you know, just like the internet was built on SMTP and TCP IP, those same protocols are being built right now. And I think we're at that sort of infrastructure development stage of this, of this platform. And so some of those core technologies, those core protocols, it's difficult to know what it is that they're going to be used for, but it's really important that we get them, get them right. So deep technical understanding is, is what I look out for in early stage projects. Right, right. I really like that. Um, I, I was asked um, 
in what we're now calling kind of the crypto bubble. Late, late last year, a lot of my friends, you know, what, what should I invest in? What should I learn about? Help me get involved in this space. Um, and I said something really similar to kind of what I would say if someone was looking at the traditional equity market. Find projects that, uh, or companies that you really like what they're working on and has a real life applicable, um, well, application. Um, and, and so I really like that you guys bring this up, that, that up. Um, and so this was probably my fault, but we got a little bit off into the healthcare space. Is there anything you guys <laughs> would like to um, mention about the book you guys are uh, working on, Toshi Builds Consensus, that, that we didn't touch on earlier? Uh, well, we, I don't feel like we plugged the URL enough. So it's, you can find it at nickandnoah.com. Um, that will redirect you directly to our Kickstarter page. You know, it's, it's, it's a fun book. We think it's, it, it's good for your kids. It's good for your friends. It makes a great um, holiday gift present. I don't know. What else, Nick? Um, one of our incentives is that uh, you get a mixtape custom made by uh, Nick and Noah. And uh, we call you and chat with you for 20 minutes, and uh, we make you a tape about uh, with your favorite songs. So, oh, those oh another important thing is that uh, that it, it, for every book that's backed on our Kickstarter campaign, we're, we've partnered with the Children's Book Project, which is a really super cool organization based out of San Francisco. They've already given away 115,000 books this year to children's schools and libraries in need. And so, one of our goals is we're trying to get this this kind of stuff, science, technology, engineering, math, those kind of books into the hands of, of kids as early as possible because there's great research to show that early exposure to this stuff leads to lifelong interests and careers in, in science, technology, engineering, and math. So uh, every time somebody buys a book on our Kickstarter campaign, a, a, another book is getting donated to, to a kid. So I really like that. And so just for the audience, I think they have about a week and a half-ish left on their Kickstarter campaign, and, and you guys can check that out at nickandnoah.com. I, I believe that'll re, uh, redirect right to their um, Kickstarter page. Uh, any, any other links, or are you guys active on social media that, that our followers can, can uh, give you a follow on? Yeah, we're live on Twitter, at uh, Nick and Noah, and that connects to our personal Twitters, too. Very cool. I'll make sure to grab these links um, after, after this episode, and I'll post them in the, uh, the podcast comments so everyone can um, follow along. Uh, Nick, Noah, I really appreciate you guys taking the time. Uh, we're going to have to bring you back on, and we may have to do a uh, healthcare and blockchain <laughs> sector because I think you guys have a lot more to, to talk about here, and I, I would love to hear it, uh, and I think our audience would too. So thanks again for taking the time. It was Thank a you, pleasure. Alan. Thank you, Alan.